it's easy to say, how do I get higher click through rates from this email? It's harder to say, what's the optimal sequence from a cost and efficiency and a buyer engagement standpoint across multiple channels, right? Across having a salesperson have to get on the phone, having marketing, having to touch them, having to create five pieces of content versus two pieces of content. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Black Line Podcast. We are sitting here with the spring that apparently refuses to start as uh, here in the mid-Atlantic, it's back to somewhere in the mid-50s and overcast. But the good news, Mike, is the Caps won round one of the playoffs last night. So that'll be the day that we're actually recording. It's the, uh, it's the annual migration pattern. So the Caps win round one and we play the Penguins in round two and get disappointed. So, uh, that's off to a terrible start. Um, more importantly, we are uh, really excited today to be joined by one of the leading thinkers around um, real, what I'll call revenue creation marketing, no BS, no theory, what really works. Uh, joining us from the Pacific Northwest, so I guess this is normal weather for you, Matt, is uh, Matt Hines. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I won't, so we apparently have reversed weather because it is like 78 degrees and gorgeous here today. It's going to be like that for the next couple of days. And then by Saturday, uh, it, we're going to be back to like 58 and uh, crummy, which is normally what we have up until 4th of July. So it'll, it'll be back. I'm not worried. It, I'll tell you what, that is the reverse because on Saturday, we're supposed to be back into the high 60s, low 70s, and it's supposed yeah. to be nice and sunny. So That sounds uh, good. Well, good, good. Good weekend timing. Trading places there. So, Matt, yeah. let's start off with a nice softball question for you. Okay. Um, I have always loved reading your stuff. You've always been a, a huge advocate and fan of technology. You've been on the cutting edge. I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, probably about five or six years ago, you and I talked briefly following a Vern Harnish event. And, yeah. And I remember, uh, yeah, I think you had just uh, written your book uh, or, or something along, along those lines. And um, I, I've always loved the truth that you tell. So I'm going to ask you the question that's been on my mind. Okay. What are the biggest lies that marketers are telling today? Well, that's a great question. I think one of the lies that marketers are telling is that marketing is about clicks and likes and retweets and the marketing of more. I mean, if you look at most marketing scorecards, it's not revenue performance. It's not revenue impact, you know, influenced or attributed. It's, it's all the activity that marketers have traditionally been, been doing. And so if we show our leadership team that we are tracking and reporting on clicks and likes and retweets, they'll think that's what we would prioritize. They'll think that's what we think we do. I think they'll think that's what, why we think we do it. So I think it, I don't, when I think, when I hear lie, I immediately go to that because I think, you know, B2B marketers have historically been thought of as sort of the glorified arts and crafts department. And when we showcase clicks and likes and retweets as our primary metric, we kind of reinforce that fact in a digital age. So I think, you know, and I call it a lie because we know that marketing is influencing sales. We know that marketing is influencing revenue, even if we can't directly track it. Even if the white paper download in last week's campaign didn't generate the seven-figure deal three months from now directly, it may have impacted it. It may have influenced it. But I think if we're not telling the true story of marketing's influence and impact on revenue and sales performance, we're doing ourselves a disservice as, as a function. You know, I, I right. like that you talk about it as a lie. And, and the point that I'll hit 
and, and it's funny because I was just on Facebook in one of these groups that's all emerging and I'm trying to be participative and whatnot. Uh, my wife told me I needed to be more social. Um, and, and so someone asked a question of, you know, what, what's a good number for full video views or something like that? And I said, well, well, what are you solving for? What, what, what's the result you're trying to get? And his response was, well, I don't, I don't know what you mean. I, you know, got this and I want to know if this rate's good or not. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, so sometimes I mean, I, you know, it's funny because marketing is going through what I think sales went through 10 or 15 years ago. You know, I went to the Tom Hopkins School of Selling that said, you learn how to close by closing early and closing often. It's kind mm -hmm. of like voting in Chicago. And, and it, there was this myth that the more times that you ask somebody to close, the greater the likelihood of success because someone realized one day that when you, when you ask somebody to close, they buy after that sometimes. So, mm -hmm. wow, this thing happens. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, email marketing became important. And we said, wow, emails that led to traction, we saw that people opened the email. We saw that people clicked the email and we began, you know, it's funny because it was to try to get out of the arts and crafts idea. We started saying, well, here's the data to back it up. Yeah. And the, the goal became, you know, opens and clicks, not like the email was successful because 6% of people clicked on it. That's not true. 6% of people clicked on it because the email was successful, if you get that. And, and, and I think the challenge is when you're not doing it, and the reason that I think it's a lie, is you lead to doing the wrong things. You start pushing the click. You start pushing, you know, in sales development, it's go for the meeting. Um, I, I always say I want the fewest meetings possible to, to get the revenue number that I want. So I think all those things come together that really move beyond vanity metrics become, become those lies. So mm -hmm. what do you do about it? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I think you're right uh, on a few of those fronts. And I think the, um, you know, I think I would like, I mean, look, I've, I've been running my own business now for almost 10 years. And so I very much have been in a direct sales environment, a revenue responsible environment. And as much as I would love for sales to do as few sales calls as possible, I also realize I, I almost always want to move faster than a buyer is willing to go. Uh, you know, sometimes three steps is faster than one to get someone truly committed to moving forward to learn about a solution because I need to take those first meet, that first meeting or two to reframe a problem that they have or to challenge their status quo and to get them sort of really committed to change or committing to doing something different that I can or we can help with. Um, but, I, but I agree that, you know, we, we have to separate our operational dashboards from our executive dashboards. It's, it's okay to still report on clicks and, and, and likes and retweets and open rates. Those are still important. I mean, you're, operationally, you still need your marketing to be better. You still want your marketing to perform better. But the job of marketing is not to get the campaigns to perform better. Like, I can't buy a beer with a click-through. I can't buy a beer with a form fill in most cases in B2B. And so there's a difference between how to make marketing work better and measuring the impact and ROI of said marketing. And so I think when we go to our peers as marketing leaders or when you go up to, the, to your CEO or to your board and report on what marketing is doing, there should be a revenue impact of that. And underneath that is what's driving that revenue impact. And, you know, I, I think that we show too much information. I think we show too granular information at a, at a high level and we confuse people. I mean, one of my favorite stress tests on that is if you were to take your marketing report into the CFO, do they have to, how many acronyms in your report do they have to ask, what the fuck does that mean, right? Um, so if they have to ask more often, what does that acronym mean, then you're just confusing them. And the more questions they ask, they're trying to interpret what you are telling them into, should I continue to fund this? 
versus if you speak the CFO's language, you talk about the, not just like how cheap your marketing is and how low your cost per lead is, but how much pipeline are you contributing? How many of your targeted deals did you influence? I don't know any CFO that wouldn't spend four times as much on a marketing lead if it converted better and it's, it had a higher lifetime value. I mean, the math is not about the click or the, or, the, or the form fill. The math is about the sale and the lifetime value and the margin you're getting off of that business, not just how much you're spending with Facebook. So, you know, it doesn't mean that the operationally managing marketing isn't important. It just means that that should not be the face of marketing outside the organization. So this this is actually a very interesting topic. I mean, obviously we Doug, we talked a little bit about this with um, with Steve and what they did at Barracuda to to really drive revenue, and and that's what they were tracking was revenue. Um, but Matt, I'd I'd love your take a little bit on one of the challenges that I think is part of these operational dashboards is marketers at times cannot they're, they're not patient. They, right. they think there's a silver bullet that they can just implement. And the next thing you know, it's, it's just fundamentally going to change things. And I think part of the reason for that is some of those metrics that they're tracking are the wrong ones versus, Hey, what is the impact that this is having on, on revenue? And I'll give you, I'll give you a, for instance. So uh, a customer of ours, they fundamentally changed their email program, but they only made one change to it in 2017. And they essentially, what they did was they sent less email. So they sent 44% less email, mm-hmm. but they more than doubled their revenue coming from email. Yeah. And if they had only done that for a month, they would not have seen, you know, they, they wouldn't have gotten the signal through the noise. Yeah. Uh, so I think patience has got to be key, but I'd, I'd, I'd love your take on that. And Doug, you know, obviously feel free to jump in. Well, not all leads. No, I think not all leads are equal, right? I mean, just because you were generated 3,000 leads last week and 4,000 leads this week doesn't mean those are good leads. I mean, I think about our own, like, you know, for our business, we get 40 to 50 inbound leads a day, and most of them are crap, quite frankly. Like, no disrespect to the people that are downloading our guides. and No, you're downloading your you are a sales qualified lead all day, every day. You're fine. Um, but I, and I guess like, um, so, I mean, you told me this was sports radio podcast, so I'm trying to use some different language here. Oh, you're to, awesome. Um, yeah. so, uh, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, we, we sell to, you know, B2B companies looking to build their pipeline. So the dentist in South Carolina that downloaded our content marketing guide, I'm really happy that we're able to help him with his content, but I have nothing to sell him. Right. But most companies would count that as a lead because he filled out a form. So we have a client in the pharmaceutical space and they are, um, they are, uh, they have their entire addressable market is about 140 companies. And so waiting for some of those 140 people to find them on Google doesn't really make sense. Um, I had a company this morning I talked to and you know, they they have 255 target accounts on their sort of named account list. And they're talking about channels, these one to many channels where they want to just go sort of out into the atmosphere and, and drive as much volume as they can. I'm like, what about those 255? Like, that's just, that's our focus. Those are the people we care about. So again, back to the idea that most marketers have this fix, have this fixation with the marketing of more. It's completely counter sometimes to having a more precise program that drives the right leads. Unfortunately, as marketers, we have also trained our leadership team and our peers and our boards to appreciate the up and to the right chart of lead volume. Like we, we, we've trained organizations to say marketing is about more, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. 
So when you come back and say, well, we don't care about the most leads for the lowest cost. We now care about getting the right leads to our sales team so they can have more efficient conversations. There's a culture change required there to reteach the organization, sales, operations, the board, the leadership team, what really matters for marketing. And that's not an easy thing to do. Well, I, I don't know which way to go. I got two questions that are fighting for the same thing. So I'll, I'll go, I'll go off of what you just said. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, is it that marketing has trained the board and management teams to, to look for that? Or is it that the board and management teams have put unrealistic expectations or under-resourced and that marketing has, has, maneuvered to that space because that's where they found the existence is the does the problem originate in your opinion at the management level or does it exist in the marketing department so every culture is a little different uh, i think that there are you know there was a book about building you know pipe pipelines uh written about 15 years ago that 15 years ago worked really well and a lot of vcs have read that and a lot of vcs have given that to their founders and said this is the playbook that playbook does not work as well today as it used to, not only because everyone started doing it. I know I'm not going to name names, um, but I think that, you know, people get preconceived notions about the way to do it. Well, my spreadsheet says if we call this many people and we get this many conversations and shoehorn this many people into demos, that it's all going to work, right? So you can make a spreadsheet say anything, but then in reality, you have to actually get that to convert. So I think there are, there are boards and there are leaders and VCs that have ideas of what, of, of what needs to happen. But then I think also there are marketers that don't come from a kind of a math marketing background or haven't really had a sales role and just, and have different notions of what's going on. I had a, we got an RFP last week from a company where the objective is that they want to drive sales. They want to drive demand. They want to create an inbound flow of qualified leads. And so what they're asking for is they, they, they're basically asking for, for PR. Like the RFP is just for like a media relations company to come in and do a news bureau. I'm like, and I have no problem with PR, like PR brand's super important, but let's not pretend getting your article in the local business journal is going to immediately drive a bunch of qualified leads. I mean, it, it, theoretically, it sounds like it might happen, but I've seen this movie before. It doesn't work. So I think the very marketers that need to be evangelizing the metrics that matter sometimes are still focused in the wrong place. And so they're, they just don't know any better. I, mean, I, I see a lot of like heads of marketing that don't come up through demand gen or even sales. They come up through PR agencies. They come up through the brand side. And so they do what they know and they start speaking the language the business wants to hear, but their execution is still focused on something that is not precisely going to drive that. Um, so to answer your question, it, it can come from all different sides, right? But I think it's important for everyone to sort of t stop for a moment just get on the same page in terms of what is important, right? I mean, there aren't very many companies where some version of pipeline, closed deals, you know, driving adoption and retention isn't important. And then figuring out what are the metrics that we need to measure from sales, from marketing, from customer success, from every customer facing team that really matter. And there's a, there's a cause and effect set of metrics that are important to look at there. Most people don't have a metric. Most people don't have metrics to watch beyond um, awareness, which they call visits now or impression. Yeah, right. Um, initiation, which we call lead, um, enter the sales cycle, which we call the first stage of our pipeline. And then we have each stage of pipeline. And we, and so we end up having this very linear, um, you know, in baseball, we, we refer to it as run base to base, you know, I'm running, yeah. you know, so, so the, the hardest thing to teach young kids is, 
you're not running first to second, you're running first to third and seconds getting in the way. Right. Um, I used to coach third base and, and, and I would always explain the, the job of a third base coach is not to tell you to go. The job <laughs> of a third base coach is to tell you to stop. And yeah. so you're going until I'm like jumping around saying, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. But I think that, that there's a lack. Um, I mean, we could go to my favorite, my favorite book on the subject, Moneyball. Mm -hmm. um, we don't, no one stops and says, what are we solving for? Or I shouldn't say no one. Few people say, what are we solving for? Um, not every marketing piece that you're doing is, is done to drive pipeline or to drive action. That doesn't mean it doesn't influence the sale. That no. doesn't mean that there's not value there. But, but there is that lack of clarity to, to assess that. Well, you have, to re you have to separate. I mean, I talked about separating operational from executive dashboards. You have to separate the, 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 the activity from the results, the cause and the effect. And I think a lot of marketers are very focused on the activity and not focused on what it does. Like I've seen many marketing plans where the objective, like the objectives are written just as a list of campaigns and activities, right? The objective is not the activity. The objective is the outcome. You're not going to get to an outcome unless you do the work. Um, and another way to think about that is if you're, if you're a marketer and you, and you claim or, 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 or embracing revenue responsibility and saying it, at minimum sales pipeline contribution is your goal, your primary metrics are in CRM. Like your dashboard, your marketing dashboard is not any marketing system. It is in the system that sales uses to record what they are doing and what they are converting. I'm going to challenge you there. Okay. Because I think that, I think that that's what SaaS companies have done by and large. I think that's what good SaaS companies have done is yeah. the CRM are, are the metrics. I want to, there. Uh, so I, I talk a lot about the principle of lift mm -hmm. um, and, and I, and I think physics teaches us how to grow a business. Right. And, and if you, if you take a look at what enables an airplane to fly velocity above the wing at a faster rate than velocity below the wing brings lift. Um, when we're so focused on, on pushing the numbers that move the CRM metrics um, that's below the wing activity mm -hmm. by and large. Um, and, and so what ends up happening is, we, we suck plants from the soil faster than they should come. So we kill the soil where and I'm seeing companies destroy their addressable market. I'm seeing companies tear through what they're doing. And, and, and I think there's a balance between production and production capacity. And, and so mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you that you've got to drive that, that revenue number, but what's happening today. And I think part partially because we're hitting to the end of an economic cycle, among other reasons is I'm seeing companies get more and more aggressive at the end of months, end of quarters to try to suck in revenue that really shouldn't happen for another two or three months, making the challenge that they're going to face two or three months later, even harder. So, so if you just go to that metric, how, how do you balance the ability to continue to produce new customers and not exhaust that production capacity? So, uh, so first of all, I completely agree with you. Uh, despite the fact that I was told there would be no science and no physics in this conversation today, you almost <laughs> lost me with I'm how to, I, I still don't entirely understand how planes work, airplanes work. So like you almost lost me there. Um, but I completely agree with you. And, and let me say it in a different way to make sure that we're saying the same thing. I think a lot of companies in an effort to hit their number this month or hit their number this quarter, go scorched earth on their market. 
and, you know, shoehorn deals into months and quarters that don't belong there, shoehorn prospects into closing that aren't quite ready, and exhaust their audience to the point where the audience no longer listens. If you, are in t- if you are so focused on hitting your number this month, this quarter, that you fail to invest in the next quarter and the next year's deals by building awareness, by building trust, by building credibility, by building your long-term pipeline, then you're going to be in trouble, right? Uh, there, is, there is a premium cost you will pay if all you're doing is looking for every month, every quarter, if all you're doing is looking for the three to 4% of the market that is ready to buy right now versus the 46% of the market that according to Gartner is what they call poised. That is in interested that it has a problem and a need to solve, but is not engaged on it right now. Like those are your future deals. Uh, and, and I believe firmly you need to be building relationships with future prospects before you need them and before they need you. And that does not immediately generate pipeline. It does not immediately generate sales, but it's still a sales and revenue focused activity if done right. It's not awareness for awareness sake. It's not list for list sake. It's building long-term pipeline. So I think we're saying the same thing. Well, we, we are. I don't know. And I know you and I totally, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I've never seen you write anything on this subject that I would, that I would disagree with. I just, when, when we talk about your, your metrics exist in the CRM, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, for instance, you do an extraordinarily good job of, of putting out high quality content on a consistent basis. I'm sure you have some people who say you must be foolish to put that much good stuff out for free. Right. Um, and, and you don't, you, you realize that a large percentage of people who are downloading that at that time are downloading it because you're talking about a subject that matters to them. Mm-hmm. So I've downloaded a paper from somebody on um, recent lead generation statistics and, and research, et cetera. And since you didn't name the company, I won't name the company here either. And, and I got the marketing follow-up and I got the sales development follow-up. It was all about, Hey, we saw you on this. And so you, you know, you must be interested in our product. I honestly didn't even, I had to go back to the document that I downloaded to take a look at <laughs> You go, oh yeah, it, it is that company. I have yeah. zero interest. Right. But but I think some and I and I know the company that did it, they're smart people, mm-hmm. they're good marketers, but I know that their marketing department is under pressure to drive revenue results, to to drive revenue contribution. And they would have been far, far more effective if they had continued to share with me knowledge around lead generation, so that when the time came that I that I had an inclination, I would have engaged in, in, in that conversation as opposed to trying to, to push me too far too fast. Right. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, it is, you know, you've got this culture of we have to close deals now and in marketing, go do whatever you have to do to get deals now mm-hmm. that creates an unnatural friction that pushes prospects too fast. That clearly exists in an awful lot of companies. I think other companies really don't, have any sense for their customer's buying journey. And, and, and I hate to use sort of a geeky consultant term, but what I mean by that is, what are the conditions that would make a prospect interested in hearing about your story? How well do you as a seller understand the prospect's story, what they care about, what they're dealing with, what they're trying to figure out? And if you can't create some consistency with that, if you can't create some rapport with them based on their story, they're never going to care about yours. And so what I think a lot of companies do is they, 
they go right from getting a prospect's attention, which is putting something in front of them that they download or they raise their hand on or they attend or whatever it is, and, and go right from the, hey, thanks for downloading the white paper. Would you like to see a demo, right? Because your SDRs are like bonus based on appointments. And so we're trying to get people right into appointments. And that's what I said earlier, like three steps sometimes is faster than one. Like I may not be able to immediately generate the appointment if I can't first talk to a prospect about why did they download that white paper? Like, did you get a chance to read it? Well, of course you didn't. Nobody reads white papers anymore. But why did you intentionally put yourself on our spam list to get access to a PDF? Like, what's going on in your business right now that makes that topic interesting? Like, that's an interesting conversation to have. And if I, can, if I can identify that that is a big problem, and if we can quantify the opportunity cost of solving it or not solving it, then all of a sudden, I might actually be able to say, you know what? Like, that problem we've been talking about the last 10 or 15 minutes, like, that's what we do. Like, we solve that problem for companies all over the world. I love, if you have time, I'd love to show you how we do it. Now this gets interesting, right? Now I have someone that actually might want a demo because they understand that that demo might be tied to this problem they had that caused them to put themselves our spam list. So, I mean, I can go on my soapbox online for a while on this one, as you can probably tell, but I think it's really important that, 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 that companies understand the connection between the customer need and the, and the, and the problem that, the pro that your company can solve. But I think you point out something really important and then Mike, go ahead and ask the question. I just want to, I don't want to, I don't want to bypass this. If you have not mapped out your customer's journey, the progression of, of, from not thinking about it to here's my money. And I don't mean awareness, consideration, decision, or, or ADA or whatever simple acronym, but really identified what is that I like to call it the swing path. Yep. Uh, then, then you can't answer these questions. You're, you're not going to be able to get out of this game. And that, and that requires that you do make that investment to actually understand your customer a little bit more. Yeah. I think oh, that's a great point. Go ahead, Mike. You were. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, we see what exactly what you just mentioned, Matt, day in and day out. And I'm, I'm always curious, like what percentage of companies are following the same playbook of that somebody downloads a white paper, they get a call five minutes later. It's like, Hey, I didn't even have a chance to read the white paper or even read the title of the white paper and you're already calling me. Yep. Um, and it, it, frankly, it happens again to us on almost a weekly basis because yeah. our CTO is always testing out new technology. And the next thing you know, he registers for the white paper. And just to be kind of funny, he decides to put my phone number on <laughs> all the phones. So I get calls from sales reps that are like, hey, well, you know, we, we saw you downloaded this white paper or you're trying a free trial of our software, you know, and it's like, well, did you even look at, you know, look at who you're calling first? Um, mm -hmm. So again, I, I'm always curious how many, you know, this, this problem is just so, so widespread and, you know, what what can we do to get out of it? I mean, again, I think it, some of it is that it starts with starts at the top yep. um, of the organizations, but I mean, what's your, what's your take there? <sighs> I wish there was a simple answer. You know, I think, uh, you know, Doug, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, we're all looking for a silver bullet, you know, that can fix all of this. And um, I mean, there is a silver bullet in marketing. It's Coors Light, right. Which is perfect on a Friday afternoon when you're ready to kind of hit it for the weekend. But other than that, there's, there isn't one thing that I have or that you probably have that's going to fix this. I think, um, I think it's a combination of 
of companies realizing the the damp the collateral damage they're doing to prospects long term when they push them too fast short term when they realize the opportunity cost in a competitive market of pissing off a prospect by moving too fast and literally pushing them into the arms of their of your competitors when you when you don't have real metrics around what happens when you do that um, like I can tell you that a company we started working with is a couple years ago when we started working with them they were doing the uh, you know download a white paper you download a white paper which like you see a demo and they were shoehorning people into meetings but getting 24% of them to show up to the meeting so one out of four meetings was actually useful and most of the people that called never showed up again when they when they when they when they didn't when they no showed because they weren't really interested so okay maybe that one out of four was a good deal, but how much money did you just waste with your SDR team and your marketing team to generate those other three appointments? And so when companies start to see not only sort of the economic waste of all of that collateral damage, but also see the long-term impact it's having on future deals and competitive displacement, uh, I, I think you can use some of the same metrics and ammo you use to try to get the people and folks in the right direction to at least uh, sort of buying journey yourself right? Reframe the problem. If you've got people that are saying, well, on a spreadsheet, this works and the economics work. Yeah. But let me have you look at this a slightly different way. It says, if you care about deals next month, next quarter, if you care about your reputation, if you know, if you ex understand that we work in a finite market, like that company that has 140 targets, like if they mess up with one of those targets, like there's only 139 left, like you're starting to run out of prospects. So you really have to think that stuff through. Artie, so let, 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 let's move the conversation forward a little bit. And I've always been a fan of, of your conversation of, of and, and you talked about, you know, marketing attribution, attribution analysis, what role did we play? I started off the podcast talking about hockey. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, I'm excited before the, uh, the annual uh, depression period for Capitals fans. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remember saying years ago that, that marketing needed to, needed to pick up from hockey because hockey values goals and assists the same way. Mm -hmm. The player who scores the goal gets a point. There's the primary assist who gets a point, and there's the secondary assist who gets a point, and there's yeah. this whole plus minus rating, et cetera. But the idea of, of attribution analysis and revenue attribution, et cetera, that's not new. Um, we've been talking about it for aggressively for at least a decade in general and in some areas for longer than that. Why? why have so few marketing groups actually stepped up and, and developed that, that attribution analysis when it's so clearly something that has to be done? Well, I think, I think the, I think there's two primary reasons. I think one is they don't realize that that's an important thing to measure. They're too focused on their MQL goals or, you know, the, the top of pipeline goals. And I think also it's really hard. I mean, we do it ourselves. Like we do it with some clients. We do a lot of marketing performance management work with clients. We eat our own dog food. We've got Salesforce, Marketo, Visible. We are doing our own attribution on what for us is a complex long-term sale. And it's still really hard to do, right? And so there's no perfect answer to it. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm clearly not as big of a, a hockey fan as you are. So I may say something that is no longer true, but I, I believe that in hockey you get like someone gets credit for the goal, but like it, you could have three or four assists on a goal, right? Like you don't always have just one assist. You could have multiple assists. So let's say there's three assists and I don't know how much often that happens, but let's say there's two assists. That means the third to the last person that touched the puck still gets some credit, still gets some stats for that. Right? So even in hockey, you're going back up the chain and saying, it wasn't just the sales guy. It wasn't just whoever was sent out the docu sign. There were other people that set this up. So I think 
going back and doing a little bit of archaeology, like I assume that like, look, I mean, like pucks go around the net throughout the entire game. Someone, when that goal gets scored, probably has to go back to the tape and said, who was the third to last person to touch the puck? And did it matter, right? Well, did that help set up the goal or was it sort of inconsequential? And we have the same thing going on in marketing. You could say, okay, so that white paper that got written, um, once that prospect got that white paper, did that increase velocity of the deal? Did that actually seem to precipitate moving that deal forward? Uh, when they read that blog post uh, three months ago, did that do nothing until they got the white paper and then there was some velocity towards the sale? So there is some cause and effect there where you can get some evidence going on. I don't think a lot of marketers prioritize that. But you know, to look at it another direction, so as, as important as I think marketing performance management is and measurement is, I have a different perspective on attribution. I don't really care about attribution for attribution's sake. I mean, I think the only reason people internally care about attribution is for money and for credit and for politics. Like if I'm a sales rep, I want credit because my credit, my attribution and credit is tied to my revenue. If I'm a marketing person and my, 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 uh, my, my bonus is tied to simply generating leads, I may not care about credit, but politically I may want people to think the marketing's doing their job to help get deals across the line. I'm not looking for money, I'm just looking for someone to recognize I had a part of that impact. So on one hand, I don't really care whether marketing or sales gets credit, especially in a complex deal because everyone's working towards the same thing. I mainly want to know what worked. I want to know if the white paper created the velocity or the blog post created the velocity or just a quote, maybe an insight, maybe a statistic generated the velocity. I care about that because I want to set that up for future deals so I can more reliably, predictably generate pipeline versus just hoping that all this stuff I'm throwing out there works. Yeah, I mean, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, no, I'm going to say from an attribution perspective, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I'll give you a for instance. Um, so when I was in enterprise tech sales, I get a call on a Thursday afternoon from a guy at Verizon. And the guy says, hey, we need to meet with you immediately. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, gosh, this is going to be a waste of time. <laughs> so yeah. I, go out to, I go out to their office. We sit down. And I asked him that question, like, hey, how did you hear about us? You know, th this all came together very quickly. And I was shocked. They said, we heard about you from NetApp, who was one of our big competitors. Um, and so NetApp actually created that lead for me. And they ended up buying millions of dollars worth of equipment literally weeks later from me. Mm -hmm. uh, but NetApp was, you know, again, the marketing team doesn't know that that attribution came, you know, from NetApp, but NetApp found out about us because marketing was doing such a great job yeah. in producing, you know, well-written content, you know, creating yeah. a market for exactly what we were selling. But again, I, I agree with you. I mean, attribution is, it's, it's a very, very hard thing, but it, at the very least you should start to really unpack where, you know, sales orgs and marketing orgs should be trying to unpack what is the cycle that people are, you know, that people are taking? And I think that goes back to what both you and Doug were saying is, you know, know your buyers. What is, yeah. what is the buyer's journey? 
Well, the, the, the book I'm working on now that my next book out is sort of tentatively titled The Predictable Pipeline. And the whole idea is to create not just, you know, a bunch of random acts of marketing, not just, you know, a bunch of emails next Tuesday and not just campaigns, but to figure out what is the system you need to put in place based on your understanding of how your prospects buy, based on your understanding of what content at different stages of the buying journey works, based on your leverage of tools and process and technology and the right people in the right roles to get deals across the board predictably, reliably. Like you may hit your number this month, but how confident you are you're going to do that again? Where's the next NetApp referral that's going to help you hit next month's number just because it happened to show up this month, right? So there's all kinds of serendipity that's going to happen in sales and marketing, right? I mean, it's just like, and I, and I actually believe you do enough long-term pipeline building, like you can start to model serendipity, even though it's still largely sort of coming out of chaos theory, but you can still, there's so much you could do to create more reliability and predictability in your pipeline, just by, to your point, knowing this happens, then this happens, then 40% of the time, this next thing happens. Well, well, chaos theory, chaos doesn't mean that it has no aspects of predictability to it. Oh, no, I, I made a big mistake applying any kind of scientific reference I here because I, I figured, I figured... I Physics boy was going to jump on that. I'm sure that I, I'm sure that I used it wrong. There, there's the new, no, no, I agree. No, you're actually, you're, 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 you're spot on there. There's the new right. physics boy. I like that. Um, especially given the guy that, that dropped biology and failed chemistry. It's nice to be known that I'm, I'm, I'm physics boy now. Look, mom, I'm, I did it. Right. I'm sending it to my, I'm sending this podcast to my science teacher in college. Dan. Up yours. Yeah, I love something, right. <laughs> Up yours, buddy. So, so I think that it, it comes down to, um, it, 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 I, I, I like what you said, Matt. I think too many, too, too often we're, we're, we're attributing for the sake of attributing. I, I always, you know, when, when a client asks me, can we put something together? Can we get this data? My first question is always, what are you going to use it for? Yeah. Um, and, and if you don't have a good answer, well, I want you know, where did our leads come from? Okay, great. What are you going to use it for? Well, cause I want to know what, are, where our leads come from. Yep. Okay, great. Well, why are you going to use that for? And if you don't yeah. have a, a valid answer, then I have no interest in measuring it. Mm -hmm. But, but I also think what happens is we, because it's easy, because it is so hard, we fall into this trap of we measure what is easy. Yeah. As opposed to really thinking through, like I said, what are we solving for? So here's two small things. This isn't quite revenue attribution per se, but, but it'll get, I think it'll get into some of what you're talking about, Matt. And I want to get your, your take on it to how you would talk to a marketing group about experimenting this so that they can make it more predictive. Yep. Um, so one, one thing is an area of, um, of, of some data that we just started looking at um, with a client that, that's, that's gotten to some good numbers. So we're all reading and we, we all see this, the, the data that says it takes more connect approaches. You got to do more touches to get to a first contact on average, right? We, we yep. would agree. That's probably true. So we, we track now not only um, how many times, you know, how many times does it make to get to the connect, but further from the connect, what's the ultimate disposition? Does it become a sales qualified lead? Does it not become a sales qualified lead? Then further from that, does the sales qualified lead get into a bonafide middle funnel opportunity? Does it get to the end and does it get to close? Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that we found that's interesting. While um, I think we have a cadence that's running about um, – it's about 12 total touches, 12, 13 yeah. total touches. Yep. And while you probably have, we're getting about 60% of the touches on the first half, 40% of the touches on the second half, no surprise because you get some washout in terms of bad names and things like that. So it, it runs pretty even. What we're finding is that 
for for leads that disposition um, to a to a sales qualified lead, those those get get that that contact happens mostly before the fourth touch. What so happens in the first third of of the the cadence, um, and then further those that become bona fide sales opportunities to closed opportunities happen even a degree earlier than that. And so mm-hmm. what we're seeing is while the the longer touch point brings us to does get us more connects and even gets us more meetings mm-hmm. so when we look at that first meeting held that that AWOF meeting held if you will um the the later touches definitely contribute to it but what we're seeing is in this case at least the quality of those touches the quality of what we're getting is significantly lower mm-hmm. what that's leading us to test is let's cut the sequence time in half opens up a whole bunch of capacity for, for the person who's working it. And let's ultimately see, does that change the end result? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now that required looking at that, you know, what are we solving for, if you will, at, 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 at a few different points, does that fit the model that you're talking about, Matt, or, or. Sure. Um, you know, I think that making something more efficient and being able to do that reliably and do that economically uh, in a way that you can repeat is fantastic. I think the challenge is making that something that is symbiotic with the prospect, right? With what they're willing to do with the speed that they're willing to go. Um, yeah, there, there is, I mean, there is such a thing as too many touches, too many phone calls. Right. And I think that, you know, there, there, there are sales calls that don't need to happen until far later in the buying process that people people want to have because they feel like phone calls are better than emails. They feel like conversations with the sales team is better than just, you know, someone that happened to read a blog post somewhere. But the, the engagement you get earlier in the process as a buyer and a seller may be just as efficient through some digital non, you know, fully scalable way than a salesperson's phone call. I mean, I think we assume sometimes that the SDRs could have any phone call with the prospect at any stage of the buying journey just because they're not field reps. But you're wasting their time as well if they're talking to someone that where that, that interaction could have just as well have had happened with a bot or with a chat tool or with a blog post or with an FAQ somewhere. So I think you're right. I think that, you know, it's, there's, the, there's the tactical, let's make this phone call at this point in the process more effective. Let's make this email more responsive. But then there's the body of work, right? There's the overall sequence and how effective is that sequence and how efficient is that sequence at moving people along, either to just to reduce the number of moving parts or to just naturally speed up something that doesn't have to take as long. Well, and, and, and the other thing that I'm getting at too is that if we were looking at what approach sets the most meetings, then, then what we're doing right now would absolutely make sense. The, the, the numbers support the longer cadence time, we're driving meetings there. Uh, but when we began to look at, okay, what happens further down the path? Um, so, so we're not just looking at what's the, what's the precursor event, what correlates. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's where we move. And, and I think that, again, that, that part of the problem, and I'm curious in what you're building, one of the mistakes that I've seen is that is that too often we're attributing to a single thing, like mm-hmm. like a meeting on on one extreme, which is activity, mm-hmm. or a dollar of revenue, which is on the other extreme, and, and they both matter. But I also think that there's those places in between that begin to give you, and, and frankly, even past the dollar of revenue, mm-hmm. um, what what content or what approaches lead to people 
who put less discount pressure on? What, mm -hmm. what, what, what's the cohort of, of customers with us, you know, one year plus, two years plus, three years plus? How, how many people are looking backwards to see what's driving that right input in, mm -hmm. um, et, et cetera? Does, does, is, that, is that getting complex for the sake of complexity, which uh, I have been accused to do from time to time? Or No, you're asking really good questions. I do think that you we are quickly getting beyond the capacity of a lot of marketing teams to actually do this level of analysis, either because it's, you know, you've got a lot of marketers that simply are not as comfortable with data at this level, or they don't have the tools to really do that kind of work. Um, I think you're asking the right questions. Uh, I just, yeah, it's, it's complex stuff um, uh, that you start to, you know, we've got people on our team that are doing the marketing performance management and doing marketing ops stuff and it's the right questions. But if you said, okay, Matt, like go into your own tools and figure this stuff out. Like I consider myself a reasonably smart guy, you know, not on science and physics and airplanes, but like, other stuff. At hockey. Um, and, well, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm getting there. We can, we can have a whole other conversation about the, uh, uh, you know, we've got a team coming here in Seattle. I don't know if you saw that. Like I've, I've already put my deposits down. Like I, um, Growing up, my, um, my dad was a, a season ticket holder for the Sharks uh, from season one. I actually, I don't know if you can see it. Let's see if we can do this. There is a, uh, if you're watching the video, that is, that is a goalie, Brian Hayward's goalie six time signed by the entire first year team of the San Jose Sharks. It, and there's pretty much no one on that team that anyone remembers. The only person made Doug Wilson, who was on the, the Blackhawks, or the last guys to wear a helmet. He was on that team. No one else on that stick anyone ever recognized. Um, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there's so I mean, back to one of our initial conversations around, you know, operational metrics versus executive metrics, like, man, like, how do I get higher click through rate? How do I get, you know, more engagement from Facebook? Like, it's easy to say, how do I get higher click through rates from this email? It's harder to say, what's the optimal sequence from a cost and efficiency and a buyer engagement standpoint across multiple channels, right? Across having a salesperson have to get on the phone, having marketing, having to touch them, having to create five pieces of content versus two pieces of content, right? Um, that is hard stuff to do. It also requires, it requires not only the technology, it also requires a lot of data, right? I mean, if you're only selling to 140 companies, you might not have enough at bats to come up with that, right? And so there's gotta be a minimal level of at bats that you've had to be able to look back and pull it apart and say what did work and what didn't. And do we have enough future at bats to not, to, to test some things against each other, let alone implement something that's um, repeatable. Hey, Matt, so I think, uh, I think when, give you that data, by the way, just that nice. So, I think on, on the back to your example of, Hey, I've got 140 potential customers. I think personally that data is sometimes easier to unpack if you do have customers in that 140 because you can truly track every single touch point mm -hmm. that has occurred with that customer yep. to make it a, a little bit more reliable. I think where things start to get challenging or is in kind of that mid range. Cause if you've got thousands of customers, yeah, you've got a ton of data. You've got a lot of things you can, you know, unpack, look at, Hey, what, what sequence of events, but then you've got that middle ground where it's, you know, Hey, we don't, we don't necessarily have, we, we can't spend the time to really unpack every single deal like yeah. we can in a true enterprise sale, but we also don't have enough data to uh, on those customers to really create a, a predictable model. Right. Hey Matt, we everyone talks about touch points. How many touches? How much this? And 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 we think about those touches and attributions, et cetera. Have, have you started? I, I 
I don't remember who was talking about it. I, I know I've started playing with it, and I can't figure. I've been able to put all, all the details together. But have you started playing with the idea of of time, of the time element to it? Um, a little bit. Um, and and it's you know not we've we've looked at it in terms of the length of the overall sales cycle. We've looked at it in terms of sort of frequency of touch points. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's different touch points you can get away with more frequently or less frequently. Um, but then there's the issue of uh, sort of prospect freedom and choice. Uh, I wrote about this, I think, last week. I mean, the, you know, I think the, the way that a lot of us still do drip campaigns is very much like the way we watched TV 10 years ago, right? Like you're watching the Cosby show and it's like, okay, watch a 30-minute show, wait a week. Watch another 30-minute show, wait a week, right? What if I want to watch all the Cosby shows at once, which today we're like, oh, you can totally binge the show, like go to Amazon or go to, you know, whatever, and you can just watch all the shows at once. And if, you know, ironically, sometimes our best prospects are those that want to binge our content. They don't want to wait a week. They want to see it all right now. Like our least qualified prospects, the prospects that may be like months or years, you know, down the road are totally fine waiting a week. And by the way, that next piece of content they may or may not actually care about. So uh, there are a lot of variables that go into touch points and and how often you should do them and what kind of content should go into that so where, where i was going and it's something that i started playing with with video so you know with the video tracking i can see that, that this lead spent 15 minutes on this video they spent 15 minutes of time mm -hmm. whereas that person downloaded the the white paper but didn't even open or click on the email that delivered the white paper to them so so they filled out the form but they didn't you know and, and beginning to see and, and playing with the idea of, of instead of using lead scoring to establish points, mm -hmm. the idea of, of, you know, there's some things that you can measure in actual time. How long was the sales call? How long was this conversation? And, and to a degree, if you think about it, and Mike, you guys do this to some degree with, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of send time optimization, the time someone spends, like when I'm just trying familiarizing my, familiarizing myself with things I spend I do a lot of quick hit stuff mm -hmm. right but I'm not going to sit and watch uh um you know 15 minutes of a video or five minutes of a video um, when I'm in that really up top just kind of familiarizing with myself but as I start getting more and more serious mm -hmm. I start spending more and more focused time on things yep um and and I began and, and I saw I can't remember who it was but someone wrote this idea that we keep measuring how many pieces people download how many touches they have rather than measuring how much time is being spent and how many people within the organization are spending time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and so i'm just wondering if you if you've played with that at all or what your thought on that is or i think i think you're right i haven't done a, i haven't spent a lot of time playing with that um you know one thing we do we so we have you know we have a lot of the inbound leads but you know we also have our own sort of named account program. And so we've got certain companies that we're going after that we've got sort of specific campaigns at. And so I get a report every morning from Marketo that shows me of all the people in our target account list, like which of them came back and did something with us. Were they on the site yesterday? Where did they go? And so we can see not just, oh, like they clicked on something, but like how many more pages did they go to? What's the nature of those pages and how long were they around? And so we, we don't do a ton of video. We don't have a lot of content that sort of lets people sort of get immersed and then gotcha. outside of the written content. But I think you're absolutely onto something, right? The more people, I mean, again, like back to that idea of the binging of the content. I mean, and there's company, Lookbook HQ, that this is exactly what they do. Like they make it so that 
you can have your prospects can have access to as much information as quickly as possible as they want. And then you could watch, Oh, you know what, this company that I've wanted to do business with for six months, you know, one of the people on the buying committee just came to the site and they spent 45 minutes on, on content around this particular topic. Now you have to have a nuanced way of following up and say like, you don't follow up and say like, Hey, I saw you on our pricing page. Would you like to see a quote? Um, but that time they spent and the type of content they went to is clearly a buying signal that you can so follow up. That's what our is for, right? Yes, that's exactly. That's what the tech bot's for. It's, it's what the SDRs are for. Like they're young college kids. They're not going to have scars for long. Just put them at it. It'll be fine. <laughs> so I think the conclusion of all this is the three of us need to get together and actually design the right marketing automation tool yeah. that will, that, that'll give you the data and set it up the right way and, 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 and deliver all this. So, so you want us to go create the silver bullet, right? Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and I know you're kidding. It's actually, I don't want to create, because I get, you know, the, I mean, I get that. It, 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 it cracks me up how much data is available, but how hard it is. You know, it's all there. Why do you get a report that says, here's who's, you know, on this list that, that, that touched this. It, it's all in the system to come back and tell you, here's how much time they spent on it. Yep. Um, and and it and it's all there, but you know, there's anyways. So well, we don't value more, that, right? we, more to come on that, Doug, in the next uh, in the next few next few months. So what what's your advice to the marketer um, and the marketing organization today to to keep their relevance as we're running down on time to to, to be able to be relevant uh, and matter in a world where um, you know we talk about how hard. I'm sorry, I, I'm digressing here on this, but. We talk about how hard this is, mm-hmm. and there's a piece of me that, that thinks, yeah, that was a good reason not to do this 10 years ago, maybe even five <coughs> years ago. Right, right. But man, Amazon's got the data, and they've got the artificial intelligence to read into these sets of data, and, and if, if we don't do something to move beyond where we've been, because you know, today, what we talked about today in terms of marketers or salespeople, it's just a different flavor of the same shit we've been saying for 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so what, what is your advice to that marker that wants to be relevant five to 10 years from now that doesn't want bots to take over um, their world? What, what is your advice to, to, to be relevant and drive meaningful results? You know, the first two things, anytime we're working with a new client or anytime we're looking at a new situation and trying to understand it, the first two things I want to know is what are your numbers and who are your buyers? right? Like any good marketing plan doesn't start with a creative brief or a, or a PowerPoint deck. It starts with a spreadsheet. Like what numbers are we trying to hit? And that includes numbers all the way up the sales funnel. So it's not just what's in CRM. It's not just the sales numbers, but like what are your metrics and are the, what are those metrics that you can buy a beer with? And second is how well do you understand the people you're selling to? Not just who they are, but like what they care about, like what their issues are, like that buying journey, right? And the, if you understand those two things, those become a foundation and a basis for making good decisions, right? If you don't have the best attribution tools in the world, if you don't have the best reports in the world, but you know where you're headed and you know who you're marketing to, you are more likely to do better marketing. You are more likely to make better decisions. If you go to your CFO and say, we want marketing to be revenue responsible. We want to be held accountable for the impact marketing has on revenue metrics that you care about. The CFO does not expect you to have metrics or expertise to actually measure that yet because very few people have that expertise and the tools to do that. But the fact that you start using the language, the fact that you start saying that these are things you prioritize, the fact that you start to make decisions inside your marketing team operationally based on those priorities, 
makes a difference. So I think intent becomes more important than precision, but that intent has to start with knowing what your numbers are and knowing who your buyers are. Amen. Brilliant. Amen. Know your numbers, know your buyers, know their journey. And it's funny, if you have that, like you said, you don't need everything. If you don't have everything else, you'll be better off. And if you don't have that, stop wasting your time trying to get everything else because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt, this was awesome. Um, if you're open to it, we should do this again sometime. Um, great stuff. Matt, Big this was, yeah. Change in the world we got. It's crazy, man. I mean, this is, look, if, if this is hard, and I think anyone listening to this that thinks we've got it figured out, I can guarantee you we do not. Um, this stuff changes on a regular basis. Uh, but I think that like we were just saying, like, you know, to be able to calibrate on the right things, it just makes it more likely you're going to make the right decisions and get to where you want to go.